Howdy, y'all. This is episode 14 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H., and this is the Bless the Food Industry's Heart episode. Hee-haw! Well, golly! Welcome to episode 14 of the Foodcast. Now, before you say, Davey H., what in tarnation are you talking about? Your last episode was episode 12. This should be episode 13. Well, I say, don't get your bowels in an uproar, your kidneys in a downpour, and your liver in a jar. The first episode of the Foodcast was actually episode 0. By naming this here episode 14, the episode count now lines up with the episode number. This way, in the year 2036... When we have a hoedown to celebrate the thousandth episode, we won't have folks getting in a debate like they did when they argued whether the 21st century started in 1999 or 2000. I reckon this is as swell a time to address this issue as any. Besides, my skip in episode 13 is just like them skyscrapers in the big city that go from the 12th floor to the 14th floor. But enough yapping. Let's talk about today's show. Today I have with me Jackie Oaken, who's been a player in the fitness and nutrition industry since Fido was a pup. She's going to learn us about good eating in a way that makes real karma sense. Then Jackie and I go hunting for some health food scallywags that are some real egg-sucking dogs. Jackie and I are both Yankee carpetbaggers that settled up shop here in the South. Give us a listen if you want to hear some Southern talk that's even more awkward than what I'm doing right here and now. But first, rant. Okay, it's safe now. Besides being bad, that fake southern accent is tiring to do. No wonder things in the South move so slowly. I call this episode the Bless the Food Industry's Heart episode. It's to make a point about some high crimes from our friends at Big Food when they make health claims such as heart healthy on their food labels. But why am I blessing their heart? When I first came to college down south over 30 years ago, I used to hear students who came from southern states say, bless your heart, all the time. I'm not a religious person, but I am spiritual, and I thought, wow, that's a non-denominational way to wish someone well. Fast forward 15 years, and I had a colleague at work named Polly. Polly was from Arkansas, and I thought the world of her. She was a role model, mentor, and friend. One of the things that I loved about Polly was her skill at dressing down some of the a-holes we work with. Because when Polly did this, these a-holes had no idea that she had just ripped them new a-holes. Well, they knew, but she did it in such a sweet way. There was no way for them to fight back without looking like bigger a-holes. It took me a while to notice that Polly often preceded her veiled insults with the saying, Bless your heart. And that's when I realized that bless your heart is southern irony. The literal meaning is the opposite of the intended meaning. It also made me think about all the times Mrs. H, also from the South, said bless your heart to me. But I won't go there. It's a pretty scary place. I will go there when talking about the food industry. The food industry is allowed to imply that certain foods are heart healthy, or that they have features that would be heart healthy, and they do this with impunity, and the government seems hamstrung and misguided to do anything about it. Let's look at hamstrung. 
In a recent court case regarding the fat recommendations and the dietary guidelines for Americans, a federal judge made the following statement in conjunction with the ruling. Quote, there's no meaningful standard for deciding whether the USDA sufficiently guarded against inappropriate influence in the dietary guidelines, unquote. That means that there's no way for regulators to enforce undue influence on food policy from industry. This is equivalent to allowing the tobacco industry to influence our tobacco policy. Oh wait, that happened. I also said the government's misguided. Recently, the FDA went after the makers of Kind Bars because the makers claim their snacks are healthy. We could debate whether they are or not because the word healthy is so subjective, but the FDA's claim was based on certain varieties having too much saturated fat. The FDA's standard on saturated fat is based on old thinking. Kind's main ingredient is whole nuts, whole, indisputably healthy nuts. As the makers of Kind said, the regulations enforced by the FDA mandate that, quote, Food like nuts, salmon, and avocados cannot be labeled as healthy, but items like fat-free pudding and low-fat toaster pastries can. Kind is right, but in the end, the FDA and Kind settled on some kind of compromise that brings no clarity to the issue. So what does that mean to us? The only thing that determines the healthiness of a packaged food is the ingredient list and the nutrition facts. The claims made on the front of the package are meaningless. And with that, let's look at some foods that are packaged as healthy, but aren't. Processed meats made from turkey, such as turkey bacon or turkey ham. Turkey is lower in fat and has fewer calories than pork. That's true. But most turkey bacon, for example, has a lot more sodium and a lot more ingredients that aren't real foods versus real bacon. My unscientific poll shows turkey bacon usually has about a dozen ingredients. Bacon from pork has half that, and pork bacon's ingredients are things you would recognize. Who knows what turkey bacon's sodium erythrobate is doing? Most of turkey bacon's ingredients are thrown in there because turkey bacon tastes like crap. Worried about processed meat and cancer? Turkey bacon's more processed than its pork equivalent. Care about humane treatment of animals? It's true. Pigs are often mistreated, and pigs are lovely creatures. But turkeys aren't treated much better. And although like chickens, turkeys are assholes, most commercial turkeys, and they ain't using heritage breeds for your bacon, are bred to live miserable and short lives. When the U.S. president pardons that turkey's execution every Thanksgiving, he's not doing it much of a favor. It's going to die soon because of organ failure from the stress of how it's raised and bred. Are you ready for Thanksgiving now? This is why the H family has lasagna for Thanksgiving dinner. Next up, granola bars. They have tons of heart-healthy whole grains. They're also highly processed sugar bombs. Trust me, kind bars are much better. Then there's fat-free yogurt. It's low in fat. It's good for you. If you're eating fat-free yogurt with fruit already in, you're just eating sugar-sweetened yogurt. If you're eating fat-free yogurt without that fruit, just plain fat-free yogurt, you're a liar. No one eats that stuff. It's gross. Embrace the fat in your yogurt and add your own fruit, nuts, and even a little honey if you want. It'll probably be less sugar than what Yoplait adds. One more and I'll move on. Reduced fat peanut butter. No. Hydrogenated fat and lots of sugar. Don't. 
Any of these products and more will have splashy claims on the package, promoting health benefits. Some go as far as claiming heart healthy. Well, bless your heart, Quaker man, who brings us heart healthy instant chocolate chip oatmeal, but you ain't heart healthy. Today I have as a Foodcast guest, Jackie Oaken. She's a health coach colleague of mine and a seasoned wellness professional. She got her Master's of Education in Exercise Physiology at Temple University, Go Owls. She has a broad <laughs> range of experience in the health and wellness field, both as a practitioner and an educator, in the hospital and the university setting. She's published and presented to some of the most prestigious organizations in her field, including the American College of Sports Medicine. And she runs her own health coaching practice called Unified Health Coaching, through whom she works with institutional clients, including the Zacharias Ganey Health Institute and Country Club of Virginia, both in Richmond, Virginia, as well as to other organizations and individual clients throughout the United States. Uh, Jackie, thanks for giving the Foodcast listeners your time today. Hi, Dave. Thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure. I've enjoyed your book. I've enjoyed your podcast. So. So it's actually an honor to be your guest today. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I have some questions for you. Um, sure. First of all, you focused your entire career on health and wellness. So what moved you in that direction? You know, it, it's an, an interesting question because the answer isn't what you would think. Um, I actually had a job post-undergraduate school that I quickly learned paid 90% toward uh, a graduate-level degree, and I had no intention of going back to school, but I thought, gosh, I don't want to waste this money. Why don't I just go back to school for something I really love and then figure out from there how to make a career out of it? And I was, was and am an avid exerciser, love the outdoors, love working out, love training, all that kind of stuff, and learned that there was a major, um, a master's degree in exercise physiology. So basically, because it was a perk of this jo other job, I started back to school and uh, never turned back. It was a really good choice. You know, it really supports um, the idea that if you're doing something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. So I went to graduate school for something I loved and then turned it into a career. So you started your career in uh, hospital. Yeah, and, and today that's not really a, a setting that's so conducive to wellness and non-interventional approaches to health. Although a lot of hospitals pay lip service uh, to that. So what was it like being focused on the preventative and wellness side in a hospital? Again, I was very, very fortunate. While in school, getting my graduate degree, I was awarded a graduate fellowship in a cardiac rehab at a hospital uh, in Philadelphia. So I put my time in learning cardiac rehab and whatnot, so that as soon as I got the master's degree and turned to an even bigger hospital system, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. I found they were looking for their very first exercise physiologist, and this was back in 1985. And they didn't know what to do with an exercise physiologist. They did hire me, and they did know I had cardiac rehab graduate fellowship experience, but they kind of had me put on all different hats. Um, and to their credit, it's because they were much more forward-thinking than hospital systems then and many hospitals now. They knew that fitness was getting hot out, out in, in uh, the community and in corporations and whatnot and thought, let's, let's try and be a leader in the community with our exercise physiologists. So I got to do some radio pieces for them and some TV pieces with 
people like Ron Jaworski, who was a, a well-known quarterback back then with the Eagles, and I gave a lot of presentations at corporations. So I represent the hospital in corporations, giving wellness talks. I got involved with some research with the hospital. They had me design and teach aerobics certification workshops because they thought, gosh, let's hop on that wagon. They were, they were incredibly progressive for that day. I helped organize their first corporate team triathlon, which I believe to this day is still something that they run in Philadelphia. And then that segued into something that was really, really cool. Uh, there was a very, very fancy health club in Philadelphia in a really nice section of the city that wanted to go into a joint venture with Thomas Jefferson Hospital and provide a state-of-the-art, medically-based wellness program for Philadelphia. And I was to design, put together that program, set the protocols, buy the equipment, hire the staff, and, and run this. It was actually likened like one small step down from the testing center for the Olympics out in Colorado. Unfortunately, the hospital and the health club had a major falling out and the business closed uh, and I had to walk away from that, but it was an incredible opportunity. Subsequently, I started working with a private practice cardiologist who realized that with many of his patients, he would see them, he would say they're at risk of heart disease, he'd sort of tell them what to do, give them medications. Six months later, a year, they come back and they were heavier and their cholesterol was higher and Nothing was getting better, ever, ever, ever. At the same time, Dr. Dean Ornish in California was studying people and looking at lifestyle intervention as it impacts heart disease. Dean Ornish has written the book, uh, Reversing Heart Disease, where he documented actual reversal of coronary artery disease with lifestyle change. So this cardiologist, when he had an interest in having this kind of a program on the side, hired me and said, okay, pull this together, make this happen here in Philly with us. And uh, we got funding from various grants. That program was initially just for people with heart disease, and then we realized that we were really limiting our market, and we wanted to help more than just people with heart disease, so we opened it up to people at risk of heart disease as well. And sometimes we'd have as many as 100 people in a class. We ran the class two or three times a year, and it was intensive education about how lifestyle impacts our health and our risk of heart disease. That is how we eat, how we exercise, and how we actively manage our stress. We saw cholesterols go down. We saw weight go down. We saw blood pressure go down. So uh, you certainly were there at the forefront of applying lifestyle changes to address what was then and is now certainly a, a burgeoning chronic disease epidemic. How are you applying all that experience now? In my work at Zacharias Gaming Health Institute, where people come to us for significant weight loss sometimes, sometimes because they have diabetes, sometimes just to feel better, we really need to change the way we eat in our country. There's three fundamentals that I like my clients to understand because when they understand these three fundamental things, it's the basis on which they make their food decisions, their shopping decisions, their restaurant decisions, and they stay aligned with these three fundamental principles. When we eat, you know, a processed grain, we do spike our blood sugar and insulin has to come out to try and take care of the fact that the blood sugar has gotten so high. Insulin will gather the excess glucose from the white flour product or the added sugars 
you know, looks for places to put it in the body, and there's only one place in the body that will always take it. There's always room, and that's the fat cells primarily in the belly. So if we eat in such a way that we keep the insulin level low, we start losing weight, our triglycerides start going down, heart disease gets impacted, all sorts of good things happen. But we cannot get rid of white flour and added sugars because our blood sugar will drop if we diet and deprive ourselves. So in order to get that out of our diets, we need to really focus on protein and fiber sources, protein and vegetables, and eating them frequently throughout the day. We can't get rid of the bad stuff without fortifying ourselves with lots and lots and lots of veggies paired with protein multiple times a day. So your first of three is the uh, reduction and elimination of refined flours and sugars. Your second is the increase of more protein and fiber-based foods. It is, uh, but there's actually more to that. Every time we eat, we really need to be asking ourselves five questions. First is, where's my protein? Second is, where's my fiber? Third, do I have at least 150 calories? Because if I don't, I probably don't have protein and fiber together. Our fourth question we need to ask is, if I'm having a carbohydrate, am I only having a healthy carbohydrate? There's starchy veggies their fruits, their legumes, whole grains. So if I'm having a carbohydrate, am I only having the healthy ones? And even then, not too much. And the last one is we need to include healthy fats. Healthy fats are olives and olive oil, avocados and avocado oil, fatty fish like salmon and mackerel, tuna and sardines, that kind of fish, nuts, nut butters, and seeds. So that's the second fundamental thing is every time I, I eat, I ask myself those five questions. And then the third fundamental thing is just how, how do you apply that to your life and your refrigerator and your restaurant eating and that kind of thing. And basically, I teach people to look at a menu, for example, and say, okay, where's the protein? And is there white flour involved in this protein and or added sugar, if not, choose something different. How many veggies can I get on my plate and love them? And is there some sort of healthy fat in there where I can totally be satisfied? Some people at home will, will, will steam their vegetables, and I say, you know, when you're done, put a tablespoon of olive oil on there with your salt and pepper. Rather than cooking it in lots and lots of oil, you just steam it and then add your olive oil afterwards with salt and pepper and you're getting your healthy fat. Those are the three fundamental principles on which we base our eating my work. You've explained your nutritional philosophy and people who know uh, Karma Sense pretty well will see that our nutritional mm -hmm. philosophies overlap so much and that is because uh, irrefutable truths of good nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect it to be different. What's your favorite healthy treat, Jackie? I love uh, roasted or grilled vegetables with a little balsamic vinegar perhaps on top or salt and pepper. Um, I will take maybe broccoli, cauliflower, mm, sliced mushrooms, and grape tomatoes and slice them all up and kind of olive oil, salt and pepper, and roast that in a great big turkey pan and think, wow, I've got enough vegetables now for a week. And three nights later, they're gone. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite guilty pleasure, though? If I allowed myself an indulgence, I love weekends. 
Don't go there. I really don't go there. Rare to never. But wheat things are a product that has been produced by the big food manufacturers where they studied us and tried to figure out what is the exact fat, sodium, sugar, and texture of a food that someone will take one bite and go, mm, that's good, give me more. Um, and that's, that's a wheat thing to me. Okay, uh, how can people learn more about you, Jackie, if they want to contact you? And Well, thank you, sure. Well, I have a website, uh, www.unifiedhealthcoaching.com, and my contact information is, is on there, on the website. We'd be happy to have anybody... Um, Contact me through that, through my email. Uh, I believe the cell phone is also on, on the website. I want to thank Jackie again for her time. And she and I went on a scavenger hunt looking for deceptive labels that we find in the supermarket. We call this the Healthy Food Scallywag Scavenger Hunt. And that's coming up next. The rules of the Healthy Food Scalawag Scavenger Hunt is just to go to your supermarket or go to our supermarket and find products that claim one thing and probably are actually something else. So that's what Jackie and I did, and we're going to talk about why we feel these products are deceptive. And in honor of us being Yankees living in the South, we're going to use quaint old Southern expressions to describe how we feel about these products. Yes, it's every bit as awkward as it sounds. The category I'd like to talk about are cereals and emphasize that it is so important, whether it's a cereal or any other packaging, to look at the front of the package and say to yourself, wow, nice marketing. It says the word veggie. It has the word organic. It has the word healthy. It has the word whole grain. All that is marketing. And we need to look at the cover of any packaging as simply marketing. To be specific, I looked at a few different cereals in terms of not wanting to have much added sugar. Otherwise, we spike the blood sugar, insulin comes out, and that glucose gets sent directly to the fat cells of the belly. So a prime example of us getting fooled would be Cheerios Protein Cereal. When you look at Cheerios Protein Cereal, the first thing, I, I when I turn the box over, I look at two things. I look at the nutrition label. And I look at the ingredient list. Both things are important. And on the label, the first thing I look at is sugar. Now, regular Cheerios in a cup has a gram of sugar, one gram of sugar. I look at Cheerios protein in one and a quarter cup has 17 grams of sugar. So people will see Cheerios protein and think, oh, my gosh, even healthier than Cheerios when they only look at the front. Let me buy this Cheerios protein, and they're getting 17 grams of sugar. Well, what if, what if they're getting tons and tons of protein? Maybe that forgives Cheerios protein. Well, if you look at a cup of regular Cheerios, it has 3 grams of protein. If you look at a cup of Cheerios protein, it has about 5 grams of protein. So you're only getting 2 additional grams of protein and a ton more sugar. If you had a choice between the two, I would definitely say you choose plain old Cheerios because you have much lower sugar. You won't be having an insulin response. Three grams of protein is nice. I might add some fresh berries and some walnuts or some ground flax seeds to make it a little healthier. But Cheerios protein versus plain old Cheerios, uh, the protein is not the winner. You raised something very interesting. 
you mentioned mm -hmm. the serving size of regular chip uh, Cheerios is a cup. You also mm -hmm. mentioned that the Cheerios protein had a serving size one and a quarter. One and a mm -hmm. quarter. What's happening there? Is the cereal company manipulating the serving size to make it appear like there's even more protein than there actually is? They did, and and that's kind of sneaky. But what they're not realizing is that if you're savvy to the ill effects of sugar, that one and a cup of Cheerios protein also bumped up the sugar up to 17. So um, all I had to see was a number 17, and I was out. Okay. When I look at the ingredient list in Cheerios protein, the second ingredient is a mixture of brown sugar, sugar, corn syrup, molasses with oats and lentils, and the third ingredient is sugar. So the second and third ingredients on that ingredient list for Cheerios protein is all sugar. Anytime on an ingredient list, if it's a long ingredient list, if sugar's occurring in the first three ingredients, you can be sure that the sugar is too high for that. Right. Never mind the fact that they're kind of doing a sneaky uh, change in the in the portion size. That's okay. a good point, Dave. Yeah. So the, the yeah. I guess the other point then there is that it does only make sense to look at the details of the nutrition facts, the amount of protein or the details of the ingredients list and the amount of added sugar. But you've got to look at the serving size. If you're not comparing a one-for-one one serving size, then you're not doing a true comparison. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Absolutely, yeah. What is your so, second? Absolutely, you were spot on. My second would be when you look at a box of Raisin Bran. All these healthy, in the front of the box, it says nine grams of protein, heart-healthy, fiber, if you don't turn it over, you think, mmm, healthy cereal, I think I'll grab that. If you look at the nutrition label, one cup of Raisin Bran has 18 grams of sugar. And there was one and a quarter cup of Cheerios protein had 17 grams, 18 grams of sugar in a cup. Just for the clarification, there are about four grams of sugar in a teaspoon. So in one cup of Raisin Bran with 18 grams of sugar, you're getting four and a half teaspoons of sugar in one cup. The second ingredient on the ingredient list is raisins, and the third and fourth ingredients are sugar and brown sugar syrup. So not only are the flakes coated in sugar, the raisins themselves are coated in sugar, and raisins are a somewhat a high sugar food itself. So you think you're eating healthy when you grab the raisin bran, you've got 18 grams of sugar in a cup. Last one would be Special K. People think Special K is healthy. Let's do fruit and yogurt because that sounds healthy. Three quarters of a cup of Special K has 10 grams of sugar. Now, interesting, you think, well, they got to be better for you than Cocoa Puffs and Lucky Charms and Captain Crunch. Guess what? In three quarters of a cup of Cocoa Puffs, Lucky Charms, or Captain Crunch, Respectively, there's 9, 10, and 11 grams of sugar in three-quarters of a cup. Still too high for me, but lower than Special K fruit and yogurt, lower than Raisin Bran, wow. and lower than Cheerios protein. That's amazing. So, so the takeaway here isn't go eat Cocoa Puffs, Lucky Charms, and Captain Crunch. It's really look at the ingredient list and the labels, and you can find there are several cereals that have zero sugar, and you can add fresh berries, and you can add some whole foods to make it more palatable, such as steel-cut oats, zero sugar. Um, shredded wheat, plain old shredded wheat, zero sugar. 
I actually don't mind the Fiber One original cereal. Um, it has no sugar, very, very high in fiber. Um, that's okay. And then even the original Kashi Goleen does have some sugar in it, but it's so high in protein and so high in fiber that I think the blood sugar spike is not that great. Cereal aside, the healthiest breakfast is the one that has the most protein and the most fiber. So to me, we're talking egg, egg white combo, vegetable omelets. Okay. Um, or smoothies that have maybe some whey protein and tons and tons of spinach thrown in with some berries. I have my people eating as much as 30 grams of protein for breakfast in the morning, and they swear once they start doing it that it keeps them more satisfied, their blood sugar more stable throughout the whole day, and even tend to snack less at night, only looking at the front of a box, and not looking at the nutrition label and the ingredient list makes as much sense as uh, a steering wheel on a mule. Well, that's certainly a quaint southern expression, Jackie, and I guess I'll take my turn now. And the ones I found are similar to what you found in that they appeal to to kids. I basically found snack foods that appeal to kids. That's just because I, childhood nutrition is a specific hot button of mine and also because I'm basically a kid myself. <laughs> but also going on your breakfast theme, the first one I found is something called Garden Lights Ninja Power Muffins made with fresh spinach and zucchini. And probably what appealed to me on those is the reference to Ninja. And uh, what would appeal to most kids was the uh, prominent picture of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the box. And mm-hmm. I'd have to say that it's Better than eating most like blueberry or bran or pastry muffins that people might have for breakfast or a kid might have for breakfast. It's gluten-free. It's 80 calories per serving. It's 2 grams of protein and 2 grams of fiber. And that's just for one muffin. Now, one muffin is about an ounce. It's one inch high mm. and, and two inches in diameter. And so that just makes me think, and tying back to what you said before about the uh, minimum amount of calories you like to see people eat in a meal, do people eat this as a side dish or do they eat it on the go? And if it's a side dish, what else are they eating, I wonder? And if it's on the go, are they going to just be adding something junky later? So those are my questions about it. Now, these things cost about a, a, a little over a buck per muffin. And here's my problem with them overall. It, it has the zucchini and spinach, and that might be a valiant attempt to get kids to eat vegetables. And zucchini is even the first ingredient in the list, which is also good. But in the scheme of things, zucchini isn't really the most nutritious vegetable. It's mostly water. It doesn't have a lot of fiber or vitamins. This, okay. The spinach is better. Then It's more nutritious, but based on where it is in the ingredient list, it's number seven in a list of 14 ingredients. You also referenced being concerned about the number of ingredients. So I'm going to guess there's not that much spinach in there. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. fact, I'm going to guess that there's not that much vegetable really in there at all because you, know, you take something like V8 juice and they brag about how many vegetable servings in a can of V8. And there's no reference on the list of how many vegetable servings. Also, mm-hmm. two grams of protein and two grams of fiber don't really make a dent in a kid's daily needs, much less an adult. 
and finally it's got six grams of added sugar and that's in the scheme of things not a lot but it's 15 percent of what's recommended for a man and 25 percent what's recommended for a woman or a kid and it's the kind of food that i think you could make taste pretty good without adding a lot of sugar you know i don't want to minimize the value of people's time but i can make my own version of an an egg-based vegetable muffin in about half an hour, spending 25% less money with better ingredients, spend time with my family while I do it, and then get all the convenience of being able to freeze it and nuke it later. And much like your the information you found on the cereals, I'm going to put a sample recipe on the show notes. There's a product called Vitatop Muffins, and they have a better nutrition profile they don't pretend to be a veggie replacement. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a muffin, but still, the nutrition is better. And for the people in my audience, uh, they'll like it because it's based on uh, muffin tops. And, and people in my audience like the Seinfeld show, and there's a whole episode about muffin tops. <laughs> That's muffin tops. That's right. right. So uh, I'm going to say that the Bless Garden Light's Little Heart, but uh, their packaging's underhanded. And that's lower than a snake belly in a wagon rut. Now my next item is Simply 7 quinoa chips. And they're snack chips made with quinoa, as you'd guess. Somehow quinoa has become this magical health food that can be repurposed to satisfy just about our every need. It's like turkey was in the 80s and 90s when we thought turkey bacon or turkey ham was good for you. Or like kale is now. And quinoa's magic is that it's gluten-free, it's a gluten-free grain, and that it's a complete protein. And people think that because it's a complete protein, that it has all the essential amino acids that you need in one package, like a piece of meat, that it's also high protein. These chips cost about a buck an ounce, a dollar an ounce, and I've had them. They taste okay, their texture is a little bit uh, flimsy, but for about half a price, you can get a real bonafide kind of tortilla chip from Garden of Eaton. They're sturdy-like tortilla chips, and they're made with healthy, high-quality ingredients, and they have twice the protein and fiber, sometimes even more. Simply 7, for trying to convince us your chips are good for us by gracing the product with quinoa, I say you're slicker and owl snot and a hoe handle. My final entry is Zen chocolate pudding with almond milk. And these are like those snack pack pudding packs that mom used to pack for lunch. And since they're made with almond milk, they're soy, dairy, and gluten-free. That's great for people who have allergies or sensitivities, but many people try and avoid dairy, soy, or gluten just because they heard they're not good for you. And dairy, soy, and gluten do cause inflammation in different people in varying degrees, and chronic inflammation is a problem we should all try and avoid. But Zen chocolate pudding with almond milk isn't really going to help. Like lots of dairy foods that want that creamy, dairy mouthfeel, this pudding contains something called carrageenan. And carrageenan is an extract from red algae. Yeah, that's right, pond scum. Carrageenan's been linked to cancer, and it's a known inflammatory food. In fact, some drug companies use carrageenan to force inflammation in rats, to test their anti-inflammatory products. Instead of buying this junk, there are a million recipes on the interwebs for desserts that fill the same function and are easy and cheap to make. They may require some experimentation, but it's yet another great way to involve your kid. There are some ideas on the show notes. 
Zen, for replacing inflammatory ingredients with even worse inflammatory ingredients, you've got more nerves than Carter's got liver pills. And that's my summary of three products from the Scallywag scavenger hunt. Jackie, I really want to thank you for taking the time to uh, mm. speak to us today, sharing what you're doing to help uh, everybody be healthier, be happier, uh, and save the world, and also doing so by uh, teaching us so much about the insidious nature of packaged breakfast cereals. So thanks again. Uh, why don't you tell us again how people can reach you? Thank you, Dave. It was my pleasure speaking to you tonight, and I can be reached at www.unifiedhealthcoaching.com or on my cell, 267-264-9839. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dave. Well, I'll be fixing to go now as we wrap up Episode 14 of the Foodcast. For more Karma Sense ideas on eating right, get your copy of the Karma Sense Eating Plan wherever books are sold, and you'll be healthier, happier, and save the world. If you reckon you kind of like the Foodcast, please toss up a review on iTunes. I have some fascinating guests coming up, and I can maintain that streak if I have the reviews and subscribers to back it up. Most of the Foodcast content these days comes directly from input I receive from you all, so keep that coming. Thanks again for listening. I wish you all a pip-pip cheerio. Wait, that's not Southern.